Hey, listeners, just a heads up. We're going to be getting into the details about Conjuring 3, the new movie. So if you don't want to get spoiled, get it watched and then come back and hear us talk about it uh, as we delve into today's episode. Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grave Talk podcast. My name is Mark. Again, joined with Garrett and John. We're just going to get into it today, bringing up an old favorite, well, at least one of our old favorites, uh, John's favorite franchise, The Conjuring. And we decided we want to get in a little bit more time with maybe one of the other movies that we didn't get to, Conjuring 2. We've done one, now we're doing three. I don't think we'll probably get around to giving it to its own episode. Do you guys? I think we should just get it out of the way now. Kind of like a short mini before we jump into three, I think. Yeah, I would concur with that. Uh, two, what a what a film. <laughs> what a film indeed. <laughs> if John had agreed, I would have said, no, we need to give it its own episode. But since he concurred, I... I'm stuck. I have nothing to say. This is a democracy. Democrat. <laughs> democracy. Ooh. I need more coffee. This is a democracy here on the podcast. Two out of three. So, uh, yeah. Sorry, Conjuring 2. But before that, is there any news or movies you guys want to bring up? Uh, recommend? Anything like that? Candyman officially got a release date. It's August 27th, I believe, is the uh, the date that they said. So, okay. if you've been looking forward to that, that's coming out pretty soon. Um, so I think it'll be theaters only, but by then, uh, most of you should be vaccinated and willing to risk your lives. So go check it out. I think by August, I feel ready to go back to the theater. I almost actually want to go like this week, but, uh, but I'm like pumping my brakes just a little bit more to see what John, uh, great question, Garrett to see in the Heights, uh, because I watched that movie on HBO max and it was tremendous. Um, because not only do I like horrors, I also like musicals, as one does. Well, if I got news for you, evidently they're making a Monster Mash musical. So. <sighs> My worlds are colliding. I love it. My wife has been bugging me to watch that movie, John, and now you're giving her ammo to make me watch this musical, and I'm going to blame you. <laughs> it's really good. I mean, it's it's obviously no Hamilton, but it's 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 really good. The actors are all great. Um, you know, the songs are catchy AF, so... If you like musicals, you're going to like In the Heights. If you don't like musicals, you're uh, obviously not going to like it. There's my real groundbreaking review. Did you say catchy AF? What does that mean? Catchy AF? Gary, you got to get with the kids. It's catchy as fuck. First off, I'm never going to get with the kids, okay? <laughs> That's got so many connotations that I don't need in my life. <laughs> get with the times. L-M-A-O, Garrett. L-M-A-O. Okay, so it's the that like shorthand for words. Got it. It's like when the computer people get off the computers and start talking in person and they LOL out loud and you just want to slap them. But AF... Uh, that one's a little more acceptable, I think. So, John, no slap today. Yeah, saying LOL, <laughs> that's just weird. You could actually just laugh. Uh, so I will never say that in person. AF just sort of sn sneaks into your vocabulary. That and sus. Uh, that means suspect, Garrett. It's from a very popular game called Among Us. Why wouldn't you just say sus? 
respect. Because when you shorten things, it's neater and cooler and hipper. Bingo. Well, everyone, the movie Candy Moo <laughs> comes out on the August 27th. Go check it out. But we should probably talk about a horror franchise that has managed to scrounge its way to two sequels and a slew of other offshoot movies. Scrounge indeed, yes. The Conjuring Universe, which now consists of how many movies, John? We've got three mainline Conjuring films. We've got three Annabelle flicks and a nun. Is that... Oh, and La Llorona. Isn't that some sort of loosely based one too? Yeah, though it just came out recently for all of my Conjuring uh, Universe fans that La Llorona is not uh, canon anymore. Uh, That one was so shitty. They're like... We don't even, it's so much worse than The Nun. We got to get this movie out of our universe. Are you serious? It got removed? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can't uncanonize a movie. Sorry, Conjuring Universe. You got to stick with your mistakes. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know what's terrible about it is the only movie that is apparently so bad it can't stay in the universe. They took that director and was like, here are the keys. Here are the crown jewels. Uh, Good luck with The Conjuring 3. Yeah, I saw that. I was looking this guy up. Michael Chavez has only done like five things and four of them were short films. And I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) Why did he get the big blockbuster that makes makes them all their money? That's crazy to me. Because people deserve a shot. And obviously, listeners, you can probably tell that John and Mark didn't really care for The Conjuring 3. I fucking loved it. So we need to talk about this because I'm going to prove you guys all wrong. All right. We're going to prove you wrong because we have a lot of information on the real life story of Arnie Johnson and how much this movie bullshitted its way through an hour and 51 minutes. I assume you loved it because the whole middle part is just a glorified Scooby-Doo episode. (laughs) We'll get into it, John. (laughs) We'll get into it. Was there a dog? Oh, there was like 80 dogs. At one point, I was like, why do they live in a house of dogs? (laughs) I believe it's called a kennel. Yeah, it was. Uh, but anyway, uh, to prepare myself for The Conjuring 3, I mean, this is a big tentpole franchise for horror fans, right? Like, everybody was looking forward to this. This franchise is mostly well-regarded by people that aren't me. <laughs> so I was like, let me watch some of these other ones that I hadn't seen. So I finally got around to watching Annabelle Creation. John, you are right. That is one of the top movies in this franchise, period. Like, mm-hmm. it's way better than the other two Annabelle films. And I think it's better than Conjuring 2 or 3. Like, I would put it right after part one yeah. if I were doing a ranking. It's a solid, solid horror film. Yeah. And uh, it just, uh, it was nice also to see how they tied in going into the original Annabelle movie at the end there. And I was like, oh, that's who that was. Okay. Nice. Clever movie. I'll accept it. Then I went back and watched Conjuring 2. And my feelings are about the same on that. I'm, I'm over the whole chairs rocking themselves because Conjuring 2 is like 60% old man rocking chairs moving by themselves. And that stuff doesn't do anything for me anymore. Oh, and then the whole, uh, it felt like it was just trying to introduce too many of these coming soon to a theater near you villains like the Crooked Man, which I thought we were getting a movie for. He shows up and starts spooking everybody out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that was like two years ago we were talking about it. Like when we started the podcast, we were like coming out as the Crooked Man movie or whatever, you know, and that still hasn't shown up in the nun's power set in that movie. It's uh, so it's not a nun, right? It's the Valak, correct? Correct. Taking on the persona of a ghostly nun. Why is this demon able to conjure up a la Stay Puff Marshmallow Man? You know what I mean? Like here... I'm going to take the form of the destructor, the crooked man, and start fucking with everybody. Like that demonic power does not connect with me. So that I think that alone was a big problem that I had with Conjuring 2. 
uh, Ed Warren sings an Elvis song for seven minutes in the middle of the movie. I'm like, why are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it went on way too long. It wasn't necessary. At least they had stuff going on during that scene. Like it was a montage scene. So we got to see them doing things. And it did kind of make sense since in the, the story they did say like, you know, like, oh, they used to love listening to the Elvis records. But during that scene when he's playing the Elvis song, I was like, oh, my God, what was suspicious minds too much to like fucking like license out? I was like, come on, like, seriously, just play suspicious minds already. You know, that's the go to song for every shitty movie. And then in Conjuring 3, they play suspicious minds. <laughs> so I had never seen the Conjuring 2 before. And I decided to watch the Conjuring 2 before three. Conjuring 2 was fucking awful. Oh my God, I paused it so many times and yelled at the TV that there was so much movie left. It was not good for me because the scares were so forced. What I mean by that is none of them happened organically. Like in most horror movies, I'm okay with a jump scare. I'm okay with you like setting something up. But we had things where Ed's putting his head inside of a tent and the rest of his body is sticking out of a tent or people putting their they're like walking into a room that's big enough to where you can't even put your arms out and then being like, oh, yeah, it's just like everything was so if you had not made and not just a bad decision, but if you had not like specifically done an action that was so out of human character, the jump scare would not have existed. And I felt like the movie just disrespected me in that aspect of like, it didn't trust me to be like scared by things that would jump out around me. Really unfortunate. And then plus everyone just made a bunch of dumbass decisions in that movie, which was more so than other movies. Like why did that tent still exist at the end of the movie? Like that's the first thing you take down. Well, I don't think the tent itself was haunted. It was just in the the scenario. I can't believe I'm going to have to be the person to defend the conjuring too. never in a million years. would I thought I'd be find myself in this uh, unfortunate position. I told you a long time ago. I didn't like this one. So this shouldn't be surprising. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's definitely not great. I'm not going to you know say it's like a top tier and it's certainly a step down from the OG conjuring. Uh, but I think the more I watch it, like, so now I think I've seen it three or four times. Uh, I like it a little bit more each time. I think its weakest part is the end. And that's because it turns out, and I think this is the case in all three of these movies, uh, despite how great the actors are, the Warrens are the weakest part of this movie. And whenever they become the focus of this, of this series, and whenever they become the focus of the story, I immediately get bored and don't care about them. <laughs> I have notes for Conjuring 2 and Conjuring 3 that match each other. I noticed it when I looked at both my uh, my movie notes and it was like the last note in each of them says like, I don't care how hard you try. I'm never going to care about these two characters. Yeah, it's like <laughs> use that. They were I think they were used more sparingly in the original Conjuring. And like so I also watched all three in a row. And what like struck me is like in the first Conjuring, you spend a ton of time with the family and the kids and like most of the movie is spent with them. I don't even think the Warrens really come into it until like, you know, 45, 50 minutes in. And then in the second movie, you spend a little less time and, and then the end is all about the Warrens, right? It's like barely about the family. And then the third one, it's like 75% of the movie is about the Warrens and not about the actual haunting or possession. Um, and I think that is why each one is worse than the last one. Yeah. And I think in The Conjuring 2, let, let me just go through my list of positive and negatives. Like positives, like they had a very beautiful atmosphere. The London and the lighting and everything like that, that was, it really lent itself really well to kind of have a different look and feel. I like that it was kind of more of a bluish uh, tint on everything as opposed to the standard kind of sepia tone 
that they use in most of these like kind of exorcism movies. Um, I really liked that. I thought the, the child actors did an amazing job. No one in that movie did a bad job acting. Um, so I really appreciated that about The Conjuring too. But like there was things like the Crooked Man effects, like they were really bad. That was a real guy. There's a guy in a suit. No, when he like reaches out to like trip him with the fucking like cane, that's CG, dude. Oh, maybe the cane part. But the crooked man like himself is like a seven foot one really long limbed oh. dude. I watched some of the behind the scenes stuff. It's, it's actually super interesting. That person is fascinatingly proportioned. Oh, that's pretty cool. But like, yeah, like some of the effects. And again, I'm not going to hold that against a movie in most cases. Um, it just it took me out of the moment. But like the one thing that like bothered me the most about Conjuring 2 was the story. This relies on one of the cheesiest things in movies. It's like once we know the demon's name, it has no power, which I'm sorry. If that is a, a go to standard thing for demons in general, then fuck the demonic. You guys, you guys wasted it. You negotiated terrible terms at the beginning of this whole thing, because if that's all it takes then fucking pointless. Because when she runs upstairs, she's like, your name is Valak. And he's like, ah, I got to go. And I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? If this is all it takes, we don't need the Warrens to be the Warrens. We could just have fucking Johnny No Nuts from like down the street coming and be like, ah, oh, hello, Gov. Your name is Michael. Get the fuck out. You know, and that's it. That really bothered me. Like, I expected them at some point to have the little girl like sitting in the attic and be like, say my name, Bastion, like from fucking Never Ending Story. That was the biggest kick in my nuts. I was just like, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, that was so anticlimactic. It's probably offensive to call religion the source material for these. But in the source material for demons, yes, knowing their name does give you power over them. That is one of the sort of staples of all exorcisms. And I think it's like in the Roman ritual, you're supposed to try to figure out which demon you are uh, exercising. Yeah. So I, I, I will say, I mean, they're trying to to align with as much as the quote unquote reality of the situation as they can. Which I'll give them in concept, but it wasn't, it, I mean, it was kind of earned in the fact that she got it through the vision earlier. But like, once she says the name, he's gone. It wasn't like, okay, now you get to see my real form. Let's go at it, girl. Let's Let's get it on. You know, like, Bring your God powers. I'll bring my demon powers. Let's let's dance. No, it was just like my name. I have to leave. Unfortunately, this is just kind of romanticized of that, Garrett, because in the real world, like John says, like just reading the Bible or praying a bunch, you know, like that's how the this quote unquote spiritual warfare is done in the real world, man. It's not exciting. It's not Sith versus fucking the Jedi. <laughs> it can't be right because a either you don't believe none of this stuff is real or B that's what the warfare looks like. And it's all happening in the spirit realm that we can't see. Well, John, if you ever get possessed, I'm showing up to your house with Age of Apocalypse and be like, and lo, Wolverine said snicked. And it was so that Magneto threw the metal at him. Be gone. Uh, look, I hear you, Garrett. Uh, God's OP. So that's true. It's really not a balanced battle. D tune in next week for John's knockoff podcast. God's OP. <laughs> he's OP, but he's fucking absent from every battle and all all these movies and these poor priests keep getting shat on and it's like oh no it seems like a heavy-handed battle in favor of the evil guys almost all the time if demons are bored as hell and just possessing people and can just you know crawl on up and be like hey what's up let's do this how come angels aren't coming down to help out how come nobody from like the the side of like good comes over to help? It's always like, you've got the book, bro. Don't call me. That's what I'm saying. He's an absentee father. Everybody in heaven don't give a crap. He's an absentee landlord. <laughs> 
if they were as active as the demonic world, this place would be way different. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, God. Uh, well, I think it's all Book of Job based, right? They like all these these stories take that and they're like, oh yeah, God loves to torture people because of faith, and you have to just believe, and that's like basically the premise of all of these demonic infestations. Right. I mean, now we're really getting into theology and I am certainly not a priest, but I think that is why God doesn't take a more active role. Right. You know, you don't want to be well, like the doubting Thomas. You have to have faith, even if shit's going south, that this is all part of his its uh, uh, majestic divine plan and you just happen to get be like the pawn that gets shit on yeah well let me tell you something that plan is no good (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry to question the almighty's uh perfect plan here but this place could use a little more tlc from the the man upstairs you know what i mean uh as an example of something that needs some more tlc i agree Well, let me just wrap up a little bit of uh, my final thoughts on The Conjuring 2. So just kind of on topic of what we're talking about, like real world demons versus movie cinema demons. When I say that the Valak demon creates fictitious characters into real life creatures that are haunting Ed Warren as he trips him with an umbrella or whatever, that's not a thing a demon can do. Demons are known for a couple of things, and it's usually fucking with somebody's mind, like talking to them or possessing someone, and then using that form uh, to fuck things up. You know, demons will possess pigs and curse at you. That happens in the Bible. Demons possess people and commit atrocities. Like, they need a physical connection to our world to come around and start fucking around with shit. But here we've got, like, Gozer creating fucking uh, uh, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man to go stomp on a church in my town. I hate to be the one to do this, but what you're describing, they actually did in the movie. Because remember when we see the Crooked Man, it's just Valak fucking with their minds. Because remember when we see the Crooked Man walking down the hall and then like it's just it's just the girl. He was like he was making them think they were seeing the, the Crooked Man when in actuality there was nothing there. It could be a hallucination. The Crooked Man physically tripped someone. He interacted in the physical realm. That's not. An, an apparition or a, an illusion. But it was the young girl, though, because when like remember when like the crooked man walks down the hallway into the room with the families and it's all like that crooked man. Also, don't make your fucking villains rhyme. You just cannot be scary when you rhyme. I understand that <laughs> was part of the whole thing, but <laughs> I love a good rhyme. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Mm, I think. I think scary rhymes are possible. I know you want to argue with me on this point, but I can also cite The Conjuring 3's dead fat man running around. Oh, that was so lame. This is not something that uh, is an illusion. This is physical manipulation of objects or dead carcasses in some cases in our world. This is basically part of my problem with The Conjuring universe is because I don't find any of this stuff to be real. I don't believe in demon possession in the first place, so I'm already at a disadvantage, a handicap. So when I'm watching all this stuff and all these powers are coming out, I'm like, you guys are getting a little too far from the uh, actual creature or the demon. You know what I mean? Also, the part where like Lorraine's like, oh, no. Uh, the the Valak has just been clouding my ability to see things. And I'm like, what is this? The Sith? Oh. Like, is the Emperor clouding the Jedi Order so she can't, like, see what's really going on? I was like, okay, sure. Lorraine's power creep in these three movies is bogus. 
uh, and like the first movie, she can like kind of sense things, and 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 Ed's like, yeah, every time she does it, she loses a little bit of herself, and it's like you know real subtle. And then in the second movie, it grows a little bit, and then in the third movie, yeah, she's like a Jedi who can travel back in time and can sense when we've missed turns, just going seventy five miles an hour. Like what they gave her straight up magical powers in this third movie. You're a wizard, Harry. She's fucking Gandalf the White. She's <laughs> she's Neo from the Matrix. Oh my god, she is overpowered. I literally stopped the movie, paused it and said, "Now I'm going to have to ask the question that I asked, what is Lorraine's power set?" Because now it's ill-defined and it's all over the fucking place. She is the most powerful medium on earth, apparently. She's like fucking Merlin or something. <laughs> it's incredible. Like and that that is my number 1 pain point in the conjuring three is it has drifted so far from anything that could even reasonably be called reality like one and two these were pretty big hauntings but they were very local and their power set ultimately was pretty limited but number three i mean whole prison is like getting attacked and windows are blowing open and there's witches now and curses and it's just like oh come on y'all what are you doing this is a horror movie not a fantasy movie wait a minute whoa 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 witches and curses are, are too far of a stretch but demonic possession is just right in line no i mean yes the the windows blow but i mean furniture was flying around across the room and people were getting thrown up against walls and floating in two and one i mean come on man it's not for for the the evil stuff like that that's not too far of a jump now lorraine's power set yes to me, it is because The Conjuring has always been about hauntings, essentially hauntings and poltergeist. And there is a a belief that, hey, I mean, I personally do not believe in this stuff, but it, you know, people can believe in it. I get it. Now, though, The Conjuring universe has expanded to not only is this a, a God versus the devil demon situation, but now there's witches, I assume also warlocks, and there are spells and just a whole new subset of like horror has been grown here and I don't think they earned it. I don't think they earned it at all. She's not a witch. She's just like someone who's doing satanic rituals. She's like some sort of super Satanist who can curse people and pull them into. She's yeah, that's just that's just Satanist 101. I mean, you get those powers like on day one, you get your like Satanist pack. And that's one of the things <laughs> they give you a little like a how to guide on how to like demonic curse people. They do call her a witch because the thing they find, they constantly refer to as a witch's totem. So, yeah. You no, know, I was watching this film and there's a point and, and after this, we're going to get the uh, details out of the way and then we'll jump into it. When the uh, Satanist somehow teleports across the room behind to choke Ed Warren, I was like, well, holy shit. Why doesn't the Satanist pamphlets from the 80s satanic panic just say we'll teach you to teleport? They would have got fucking crazy people <laughs> amount of people to sign up and join the cult. Come on. That should be, if it's 101, right. then man, can you imagine the amount of Satanists teleporting all over the planet right now? Holy shit. That little girl was teleporting in part two because she was like Nightcrawler from X-Men, like poof, 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 all <laughs> over the place. I think this is just a, 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 a conjuring universe demonic power. Okay. Well, this movie presents itself as based on true story, and that's the other huge problem I have with it. But 
if you guys want to put a pin in it, let's get some of the details out of the way. Let's. The Conjuring colon, the devil made me do it. Now, this one came out this year, 2021, if you happen to be listening way in the future somewhere. Uh, this is a 57% on Rotten Tomatoes with the critics and an 84% with the audience. Wow. So a bit of a, a bit of a difference there. I feel like that uh, that Skinner meme where he's like, am I wrong? No, it's the children who are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> According to Box Office Mojo, at the time of recording, this movie's made $67.5 million worldwide, so it's doing all right, especially considering it was straight to HBO Max. Uh, this one stars Patrick Wilson as Ed Warren, Vera Farmiga as Lorraine Warren, Ruderio O'Connor as Arnie Cheyenne Johnson, Sarah Catherine Hook as Debbie Glatzel, Julian Hilliard as David Glatzel, John Noble as Kastner, Eugenie Bondurant as the occultist, Shannon Cook as Drew, and Ronnie Jean Blevins as Bruno. This is what Rotten Tomatoes has to say about Conjuring, colon, the devil made me do it. The Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It reveals a chilling story of terror, murder, and unknown evil that shocked even experienced real-life paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren. One of the most sensational cases from their files, it starts with a fight for the soul of a young boy, then takes them beyond anything they've ever seen before, to mark the first time in U.S. history that a murder suspect would claim demonic possession as a defense. I wanted more of the trial. I mean, the way that this movie was set up in the trailer, I thought we were going to get like exorcism of Emily Rose level trial scenes. And we literally only had the one at the end, right? Uh, and one in like the very beginning where they're like, uh, my client pleads not guilty by demonic possession. And the judge goes, whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> yeah. I was a little let down by that fact alone. I, I was really hoping for more L.A. Law style paranormal movie. It's been a while since I've seen one of those. L.A. Law? <laughs> Jesus Christ, Mark. <laughs> law and order. Wasn't L.A. Law a show in the 80s, though? Yes. Night Court. <laughs> I mean, there's so many better court shows than L.A. Law, but you went with L.A. Law. <laughs> you know, whatever floats your boat, I guess. Silk Stockings on the USA Network. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to go back to the cast for a second, I, I think the cast killed it. I was really impressed with everyone's acting chops in this movie. Um, it was great to see John Noble get some work. I really like him. Yes. Uh, he was great in Fringe. Um, you know, I think they were all doing the best that they could with what I consider a pretty mediocre story. Uh, but I, I, I was, I, I did buy into the cast. Are we not going to talk about Vera Farmiga's Southern accent that comes and goes? <laughs> you know, I, I props to actors and actresses who try accents. Um, you know, I'm sure it is very, very challenging. I am of a belief though, to just not, it almost never works. Um, and it is less distracting to be in your normal accent than to be drifting in and out or drifting across accents. Garrett, since you brought it up, and I'm just going to get this out of the way, I don't think Vera Farmiga does a lot with this role. And maybe it's just she's working within the character of Lorraine Warren, but she's not very interesting to watch to me. Not in the least. Not in movie two and definitely not in movie three. Especially when they give her that 80s old lady hair. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I forgot about that hairstyle. <laughs> that was epic. 
Uh, I think it was proof, too, that that hairstyle looks good on nobody. Yes. It's just a unflattering hairstyle. That plus poofy shoulders on a, on a lady, man. You want to look like a librarian? That's how you look like a librarian. <laughs> yeah, the, her shirts were the most uh, offensive thing to me about her. I mean, I was willing to let go of the uh, the accent that came and went. I was willing to let go of the whole, like, like she's trying to seem deep. I thought she did a great job. I'm not talking about her acting other than the, the accent thing. But good God, those shirts. And I understand that's the kind of clothes that the real uh, what's-her-face wears, but... Fuck me. Someone has to like get the fucking like queer eye for the straight guy people in there. <laughs> like somebody do something about this outfit. It was so upsetting to me. Like, how do you poof? How do you poof those up? Like, do you have to like shoot like air into them from like a tire compressor? Do you have to like do they, do they naturally hold their shape? Are they like like rock hard? where they don't like bend in are they shoulder pads wire frames i think all of those are options you guys mentioned john noble and when you cast lord denethor the steward of gondor father of boromir and faramir you know you're going to get some level of evilness right i mean that dude just looks like creepy old dude who's gonna fuck shit up like the minute he was on screen, I was like, what are we doing? Is this poltergeist too? You know, the old priest ghost man, like he has that aura around him. Now he didn't end up being totally evil in the movie, but he definitely had a little hand in it. Yeah, what it felt like they were going for with John Noble and the witch is they were like the mirror version of Ed and Lorraine in that like John Noble's character, I guess his name, Father Kastner, has uh, his own little demonic collection, right? And when Ed and Lorraine went to look at it, they had an exact conversation from the first Conjuring. Someone's like, you should burn these. And he's like, well, it's like uh, taking guns off the street. And I was like, oh, I, I see what you're doing here. You're like the, the less good version of these people. Also, I didn't understand that line when they said, you know, like, why you, you should have burned these. It's like, well, that's just like taking guns off the street. It's like, if you take guns off the street and burn them, they're no longer usable to anybody. How does that not apply to these Satanist like items or these occult items? Like, good question. That 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 line really stuck with me because I was I was I was all like, you can't just take them off the street because, and I'm like, go on, like, why is that a problem? And it's like, no, you absolutely can take them off the street, burn them, and guess what? No one can use them anymore. That's an effective deterrent. That one that one kind of pissed me off. Like everything in this movie, the first Conjuring did it better. The point the what so the what when that came up in the that same conversation happened the first one, Ed says. You can't burn them because these are just the vessels, right? And if you burn them, then the demons go free and they can do whatever they want. So keeping them in their little demon room is like taking guns off the street. So that's like the context there. And then when they do this terrible callback to it, they miss they, they drop that part of it, leading to your confusion, Garrett. If you don't remember that this conversation is like a callback, it's just dumb. Like, yeah, why don't you burn them and actually get them off the street? This movie has a lot of bad dialogue in it. And I the, t the two that I notated is when Lorraine is talking to some people and then she's like, the Satanist power is strongest at night. Let's hope they don't try anything before then. It's like, what the fuck? What the fuck did you just say? Why wouldn't you want them to try something when they're at their weakest point? Don't wait till they're fucking peak power. Mark, I have so many problems with that scene. Yeah, let's get to it. But they're so inconsistent with time jumps and how long it takes to get anywhere in this movie. It uh, hurts me. Okay. You want to get into it? We'll get into it. <laughs> 
I'd rather not. Let's, I would rather just call it a day and let's all go home. <laughs> We've referenced every mythical wizard that you guys know of. Let's go. Oh, not even close. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> no, I'm just getting warmed up. Let's talk about The Conjuring 3. It starts with uh, right in the middle of an exorcism that's gone wrong, of course. The uh, the little boy, uh, David, David's getting exercised and we find out that he has been possessed for a couple of months now and, and they've been working through this. And then finally they take a break and David wanders off to go lay down. He's still possessed. So the demon scares him and he goes and hides in the shower, which I thought was weird. Demons don't like hot water, dude, or soap, especially not head and shoulders. Apparently not. <laughs> uh, so he's sitting in the tub and he's all scared and the demon's crawling up and it turns on the water. And instead of water, of course, blood comes out. Because if you're in a horror movie, you're getting a blood shower. That's just a rule. Okay, well, let's let me. I'm gonna I'm gonna interject as you burn through this plot nonchalantly because there's some really great moments in these scenes. Is there? Yes. God damn it, John. <laughs> he goes in the shower. He's it's a small like claw footed shower or tub with a uh, a shower curtain all the way around it. You can't see through like a white one. And then he looks up and where the um the rings are, the shower curtain rings that are holding the shower curtain in place, like they look like dark wood. You look up there and then like you see like these fingers slowly start to pull back over the shower rod that looked like shower curtain rings. That was so well done. That was such an amazing shot. And then it immediately jumps into the bloodbath, which looked great. Um, one thing I have a problem with in these movies is when people are haunted or possessed, when shit starts happening, they get quiet and they're like, oh, I guess I'll quietly go hide. It's like, no, start yelling at people like, like yo, I'm possessed. The demon's here. It's fucking shit up. But whatever. That's a personal pet peeve. Well, the Conjuring 2, though, they do yell. All they do is yell. Everyone in the Conjuring 2, apparently, when they fall asleep, falls into an opium coma because <laughs> they are constantly screaming in that movie. The kids are and the parents or adults are like out to the fucking world. There's a few times that happens, but like a lot of times they'll get up and they'll be like, oh, I saw a monster. Let me quietly go walk through the house. OK, let me go ahead and creep over to the edge of my bed. Let me quietly go look in this closet. Let me quite. It's like, no, the moment I see something in the shadows, I'm like, everybody get the fuck up. I don't know if I saw something like uh, everyone's getting yelled at specifically. Uh, yes, they eventually start yelling when things start flying across the room. But up until that point, everyone's like, well, I wonder what this could be. <laughs> I guess I guess I'll just keep it to myself and we'll figure it out. I do like John's explanation that the house in Enfield was also an opium den. <laughs> Uh, so at the same time as David's getting tortured, the priest is coming to do this exorcism uh, because before it was just Ed and Lorraine. And now they finally got the OK from the church. So the priest comes and then they have which you'll I'm sure if you are in horror Twitter at all, the homage scene to the exorcist uh, where the priest gets out of the cab and there's that low sort of uh, backlit shot of him standing in front of the house. And everyone's like, oh, shit, that's amazing. Yeah, it was all right. And he goes in. And now David's panicking because of the blood shower. So he runs out. They they run upstairs to hear him. The door like won't open. They bust open the door. And then like David's hiding in the corner next to a broken mirror. And they're like, David, are you OK? Are you OK? And then like out of nowhere, full sprint. He just lunges at his dad, 
jams him in the fucking leg with a huge piece of mirror. And this is where everything starts going like crazy and pear shaped. Right. Because then and Ed's like, we got to do this right now. The priest is like, all right, I'll get him to the church. And they're like, no, we have no time. We must exercise him this very instant. Um, and it like goes fucking sideways immediately. So they start within like 15 seconds. David is on top of Ed and like giving him a heart attack. Um, so Ed's dying of this huge heart attack. And finally, Arnie, uh, his brother, like grabs him and he's like, come into me, take me instead. And Ed's sort of seeing all this through his heart attack vision. And um, uh, and the demon's like, yeah, all right. And everything kind of calms down. And everyone except Ed thinks like, oh, sweet. It's all over. We were successful here. But Ed peeped the demon sort of transferring into Arnie. Um, and then the next scene is in the hospital where we find out how Ed had a huge heart attack and the doctor's like, yeah, um, I don't even know if he's going to be okay. I have to run a few more tests. And we're all like, oh no, not Ed. My note for this scene says, who's that girl? Oh yeah, they have a daughter. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> she got little to no screen time this time around, but she was the star of uh, Annabelle 3, wasn't it, John? Yeah, she was, uh, it was her and her two babysitters. Was it Judy Warren? Yes. I, this, this is what makes me kind of like, the scene where they're like exercising David, why don't they say the demon's name? You know, why aren't they looking up names? Why aren't they in like in a baby book name of demons to like start rattling off like Tony, Valak, Charlie, you know, like just start yelling out names until you find the right name of the fucking demon. And then guess what? It's over. <laughs> but no, they've got to read through the fucking Bible and like, and lo, they behold. And it's like, just shut the fuck up and yell his name. Because if that's true, as you guys say, that's all you got to do. Well, they don't even name the demon. The, the, this movie ends and doesn't even tell us what demon we were dealing with. There's a lot of demons, bro. Yeah, there's like a hundred million demons. But also you could never, I mean, your odds of successfully guessing the, na the name of the demon. I mean, you'd be like winning the lottery here. They had months. <laughs> they had months of this kid being possessed. They could have just like, hey, we're going to take a week vacation. Just sit in a room with you, David, and just start yelling off names. But I don't, This is what we're going to do for the next four days. I don't think you can do that because you have to keep the demon weak or he'll kill the kid. So all the Bible reading and the praying and stuff is to keep the demon suppressed and also is a way to get rid of the demon if you don't know its name. So I think that's why they tried that approach. So my, my point is that uh, this, this Conjuring franchise that is so interested in bringing us the demon of the week, Valak, the Crooked Man, Annabelle, La Llorona, whatever. And then this movie just decides not to tell us what demon we're dealing with. It feels weird. Oh, I loved it. Well, because the demon is not the, the villain in this movie. The demon's a tool. The demon's just a hammer. The villain is the satanic cult. No, and I understand that, but I have some problems with that too. Oh, me too. Many. Why did she target this family? What was her end goal? What is the purpose you know what I mean? Like all these things were not answered by the roll of the credits. Uh, John Noble told you why. There's no reason. There is no why. Uh, why? It's because they're Satanists and they do horrible things. That's not interesting to me. That's not interesting at all to me. Well, and I think it ties into each one of these movies is more religious than the next. And it makes me worry, like, is the fourth one going to be like just an outright like Christian film. Um, but I think that like, theologically there's this idea that evil is random and like, uh, you know, it's just out there and it just happens and good things happen to bad people. You know, that's cause it's just God's will. And I think that's what they were trying to, that's why that was their sort of hand wavy. There is no why evil's just evil uh, answer. Well, they talk about like how she needed three distinct 
kills for the uh, the the curse or the the spell she's doing. And they were all in her area. So this is all people she knew. This is all like surrounding things that she was familiar with. So I don't think it's like completely random. I think it's more just like opportunity. If she, if she knew them, they did not make that connection in the film. They did not say, oh, this was uh, David's school teacher. You know what I mean? It wasn't like... Well, no, they didn't like that. They said they're all like in the same area. Like they're all like, they're all within a couple miles of each other. So, I mean, in a small town like that, you're going to run into people and stuff like that. She saw him at the A&P and we're like, those are some people I need to put a hex on. You know, maybe they cut in front of her in line. Maybe they were writing a check for $2 and she was like, this is enough. Maybe. Well, she had to have a kid and that kid moved into that house. Anyway, I, I think you guys are glossing over some of like the stuff they do talk about because they do explain not completely in detail. And yes, as someone who loves a good like backstory of a villain, they did kind of leave it very nebulous, but they gave me enough backstory on the the actual villain of this movie that I was like, okay, cool. I feel satiated. You know, like I would like to know more about this demon, but as you said, John, it's, it's ancillary to the plot. It's, it's a, it's a tool. Gandalf named his sword. That was a tool. (laughs) Oh boy. So anyway, uh, at this point, David transfers, well, the, the demon gets transferred into Arnie. And then we smash cut to, I guess what, a week later. This is Arnie just living his life. Yeah. We see that he lives in this kennel with his girlfriend. Which they rent from the most weird landlord I've ever met. Um, <laughs> he was he was a really interesting character. <clears throat> and they run a kennel out of this house. Interesting character is he's getting off easy. He's a crazy fucking drunk, dude. <laughs> like It's like 11 a.m. The dude's blasting his music and making random people dance with him. He's a... He's something else is what he is. Mark, if you, have you ever had a landlord? This is par for the course, bro. <laughs> Not one that I interacted with at this level. I didn't sleep with 80 dogs that he groomed. This is classic human dog kennel behavior. Uh, if you sleep in a kennel, you're, you're used to this kind of stuff. Uh, but he seems harmless, right? They all like him and they laugh and like they're they're having a you know a generally a good time with this individual. He's not. I mean, he's definitely an alcoholic and needs some help, but he's not like oppressive or like you know dangerous to them in any way. Really, they're just like, oh, Bruno. Arnie has like a little bit of a a vision, like uh, some cereal jumps off a shelf, and he's like, what the fuck. And it, it's clear that he hasn't really been dealing with the demonic possession that went into him. He might have been having like little moments like this that kind of make him like second guess and wonder. Well, the cereal wasn't spiritual. There was a mouse in there. Oh, was it a mouse? Well, John, everybody knows that tricks is cereal for demons. Okay, (laughs) So that was a clear nod to that. This time there was a rat, but most of the time the prize inside is a demon. Kid tested, (laughs) demon approved, of course. So the rat jumps out of the box and then Arnie follows it as it runs into a hole in the side of the house. And one of the things that I noticed is that this was the house where they tried to exercise David, right? Is this the same place? Yes. They go back to the parents' house. They're having like a barbecue. They're like, yay, David's not possessed anymore celebration. Are we talking just a couple days? Because they did not clean up that house. There's still like the claw marks all over the walls from the demon possession that night. Holes. The place is still very much ransacked. And I was like, wait, wouldn't they have tried to clean this up a little bit better? That was a great effect, too, when David was grabbing in the midair. And then like he was like holding on to something that wasn't there. 
there and then like they'd pull them further and then the claw marks would appear in the walls if the demon was what was holding them that was so fucking sick i loved that i'll give props that one was cool actually yeah that was that was a cool scene uh, i thought it was like the next week but I, I think garrett you're right like the whole opening exorcism sequence i thought was really good i was still on board with this and and kind of to john's earlier statement is like when you start introducing Ed and Lorraine, I start losing interest. And I think I'm on the same page with John on that aspect Mm -hmm. because yeah, this whole opening bit was good. 100% agree. I am on, I thought I was like really excited about this movie because I think the first like 45 minutes are really good. It is when it leaves the family and follows Ed and Lorraine's cross country demon journey uh, that this movie just lost me completely. But yeah, I agree. Everything up to that point is actually, uh, pretty solid film so do you think that the the glatzel family the the family that was the at the center of this first exorcism at the opening of the film would have been oblivious to the part where arnie said come into me come into me and then the demon stopped fucking with david and just left it at that yes i know ed had a heart attack in the middle of the exorcism that kind of puts a pin on a lot of questions until he gets rushed to the hospital but that to have a barbecue, act like nothing's wrong, and then Arnie's going about his business with this girl, knowing damn well, or he should know damn well, that now he's harboring a demon inside of him. That seems a little irresponsible, Arnie. Maybe it has been a long time. Maybe it's been months later or whatever, and nothing's happened yet. Because I think the demon was uh, like low-key just hiding out in there until the scene where he looks into the rat hole and we see the witch kind of grab him by the throat. I thought, I think that like activated the demon, kind of like snapped the glow stick. And now uh, that all starts to happen. So I think enough time passed from the exorcism to the repossession, for lack of a better term, uh, that they all thought that it was the exorcism that solved this problem, not Arnie asking the demon to be to, to take over him. Okay, that's fair. That's my headcanon anyway. Uh, but then that does open your question of why didn't these people like put up some new wallpaper or something? You wouldn't want all this evidence of the worst day of your life yeah. hanging around, but I guess so. So Arnie goes to work. So we see, well, let me back up a little bit. So he looks in the hole, like I alluded to, and we see the witch kind of grab him and and like yell at him essentially, I guess. And he's like, uh, he like gets dropped. He shakes his head. Everything's disappeared and kind of back to normal. Uh, and then he goes to work. And he works as, I guess, a uh, landscaper landscaper. Thank you. And he's up there cutting down some tree limbs and he like drops his chainsaw uh, and he's starting to look real bad. He's like real pale and he kind of looks sweaty and he's like totally out of it. And so his boss is like, dude, go home. And he's just looking even worse for wear now. He's really not looking great. Bruno is completely oblivious to this. Uh, so Debbie's like, oh, man, are you OK? You don't you don't look so hot. Bruno's like, dude, let's get tanked. And Arnie's like, no, I don't I don't want to. I don't feel well. And Bruno's like, oh, are you quitting drinking? Let's quit next Saturday. We can quit together. And Spoken like a true alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> right. He is totally oblivious to how bad Arnie's looking, but like, if he were even just a little bit sober, he'd be like, dude, you need to lay down. But instead, he forces Arnie to fix the stereo. But Debbie's into it. She starts dancing with Bruno and they're dancing. And um, at this point, Arnie's like kind of having a vision. It's his his vision's getting a little bit like twisted and altered. And he thinks that like Bruno's kind of like harassing her and he's not OK with it. But he's like sweating and he's like, oh, man, oh, man, I'm tripping out. And then at this point, 
he goes into full-on crazy visions. Yeah, he sees Bruno, like, turn into a demon and attack, like, Debbie and, like, biting at her. And she's like, Arnie, help me. And so he runs in and, like, separates them. And then he starts running down the dog. And this scene was all actually, I thought, done pretty well. He's like, he starts running, uh, trying to escape Bruno because now he thinks he's a super demon. Uh, he, and he runs down where all the dogs are. It's like this long hallway. And in his vision, it's like pitch black in there. And then he, of course, trips. So he's like backing up and he sees Bruno kind of charging at him in this gory, demonic form. And he stabs him. And then the movie, like, it cuts into quote unquote normal vision. And we see that he had the just attacked Bruno and apparently stabbed him 22 times. Smash cut to a scene where he's walking, where Arnie's walking down the street. He's got bloody hands. A cop drives by or the sheriff drives by, turns around and is like, son, you okay? And then Arnie turns around and is like, I think I hurt somebody. And he kind of snaps out of, he's clearly in demonic eyeball possession. You can see that he's got the, the glassy reflective like effect on his eyes. He's got, you can see his veins. He's super pale. Um, when the cop finally snaps him out of it, he kind of looks a little bit more normal, but still looks sick as fuck. And then he's like, I think I hurt somebody. And that's when we cut back to the Warrens in the hospital. And this is where we get to see that Ed's like, oh, man, we got to go back. Uh, the demon went inside Arnie. And that's when they tell him that, like, yo, your heart's bad, bro. You should avoid doing anything strenuous or active because you could totally die. Which they keep up for two thirds of the movie and then get rid of as soon as it becomes a hindrance to the story they want to tell. Adrenaline's a hell of a thing, John. <laughs> also, real life Ed Warren, I don't believe had a heart attack during this time. He did later, but uh, not during this case that I could find. Hey, guys, I hate to break it to you, but at the end of the movie and the credits, it says some events and characters were rewritten and uh, for sensational and storytelling purposes. So I hate to break it to you. This all lines up for a movie. <laughs> okay, Garrett, since you've segued us into it, John, let's start talking about what we were talking about before we started recording. This real life event that took place ended in court when they threw out the defense of being able to say the devil made me do it. Yeah, it was like used in the very first trial and the judge was like, we are obviously absolutely not going to allow you to say that. And that was the end of it. And then he just went on and had a very normal trial where he was convicted of manslaughter and sentenced to 10 to 20 years. And he was released in five for good behavior uh, without any of the Warren's involvement. And in fact, the brother uh, of Arnie hates the Warrens and said that they used their family for the, their own publicity and to make money off of them and that his brother had like a, a you know a mental break and really needed actual help and that the Warrens were a total hindrance to this person's uh, you know to Arnie's uh recovery I'm not a huge fan of this particular one because it's based on a murder as opposed to the other two, which are based on hauntings. And this person who got murdered is a real person and their like real life family is undoubtedly still alive. This didn't happen that long ago. And now they have to watch this person's killer be vindicated in this fictional story about, oh, it really was Arnie is actually a really good guy. He was just demonically possessed. That's why he killed, you know, your son or brother or cousin or nephew or whatever. It's like, I, I don't, I feel really dirty about how this movie uh, is portraying an actual real life crime where this person really did stab somebody after uh, a, an argument. Okay, well then how do you feel about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood from Tarantino since the Tate murders, like, you know, 
aren't perpetrated by the Manson family, but instead by, you know, like, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. And yes, there's definitely some some bullshittery in there that like is not cool, but it's clearly a movie. It's clearly like its own take. I mean, I guess I don't know. I guess if you're dumb enough to believe that any movie that says like based off real events and think that that's the real events, then you need a primer in movies. But I don't know. I didn't find it that egregious. But yes, it is unfortunate that the Warrens, through most of what I've been able to read and find on them, are pretty much just fucking hucksters and, and shysters. Like they just big time. They're they're just completely full of it, and that's that's unfortunate. And and again, it's even more unfortunate that they really try to push this whole like, and this one especially, they try to push the romance. Like at one point, there's a line in the movie, and this is the point where I was like, the only time I was like, fuck you, movie, where it's like, they think our love is our weakness, but our love is our strength. I was like, fuck you. <laughs> I was like, first off, no one cares about you two. Like, you're not doing anything insanely, like, amazing. I will, to, to answer your question, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, also tasteless, but at least that movie didn't try to excuse or absolve the murderers of their murder. This movie is it's it's a, it's Arnie propaganda. It is trying to absolve this person of their crime um, of saying like, yeah, he did not do this. It was a miscarriage of justice because he was cursed by a witch and that's who killed him. Arnie's innocent. I think that is where it crosses the line to me. It, it, they at no point say that uh, or attributing any of these crimes to this individual that he he did he killed this person there's no doubt about that and I, I don't think it is right to take a defense that was used in you know for one day thrown out and then be like no he's actually innocent and it really is the devil I I think that is a uh, uh, highly tactless okay all right and I would also add on that while this movie, yes, Garrett, if anybody takes this at face value being true, they need to understand that based on a true story is hardly true. But I think a lot of average moviegoers do buy into this stuff as being somewhat true, especially when you frame your movie that way. The difference between this and a Doom, like Doom 2 or, you know, one of the video games where you're also fighting hell is the, it doesn't say based on a true story. Yes, Mars opened up a hell portal. Like, but this movie is trying to invoke realness to the viewer, even when like, and that's where I'm saying is like at the end of the day, all of the stuff after the trial being thrown out is all fabricated, and the movie didn't really do um, a great job at trying to make sure that everybody knows that this is all fantasy. Well, Amityville Horror and Exorcist were all based off true events and they all took a fuck ton of liberties in their movies and shit like that. And we didn't like nail them against the wall. I see what you're saying, John. I'm not trying to excuse the the fact that this movie is is told in a way that does diminish, you know, kind of what was done. Um, and I, I don't I don't want to get into that because there's there's more, you know, there's like ethical like options on that. And I think we're kind of both kind of aligned on that. But Again, we're not holding anyone else to the fire the way we're holding this to the fire. So I just feel like maybe we should just like, just like, eh, it is what it is. Look, Hollywood's in the pocket of Big Demon. There's not much we can do about that. <laughs> I can't think, I mean, I agree. I don't particularly care that it says, oh, it's based on a true story and is a bunch of bullshit. If that's all that it was, I think it would be fine. What And I, what bothers me is that it tries to absolve a murderer of their murder. And I mean, maybe there's movies I'm not remembering, but I can't think of a lot of movies that, go out of their way to make a murderer 
a figure that you're supposed to be rooting for and be like, oh, isn't it so sweet? He did get to marry Debbie. Like, cool. I, you know what? I'm glad that he did. He does seem to have the real Arnie does seem to have recovered and lived a, a very successful life after this. And great. You know what? I, I do believe that prison is for rehabilitation. So more power to him. But I, I, I just feel that it is dirty that this movie is trying to absolve him of his crimes instead of painting and that's why i thought this would be more of a trial movie so at least they could paint the other side of the picture at all but you don't hear it at all all you hear the only thing you hear about the prosecution is that they're going for the death penalty and it's up to ed and lorraine to save this innocent kid from dying um which i think is just it's just dirty yeah well the wizard of oz don't ever watch that because they spend an hour after she kills someone just painting this chick in a good light in her defense <laughs> uh, a tornado did it that's bullshit <laughs> yes dorothy real life person actually survived tornadoes <laughs> stone cold murderer based off a real hallucination i think wicked uh covers covers uh the story from that point of view and uh, yeah ed and lorraine are total hucksters i don't believe any of that and I'm, i think that's the other piece of this that i struggle with every time i watch one of these i'm like i don't believe that you guys did any of this stuff and then to watch power uh, you know lorraine turn into a jedi in this movie i'm just like what the fuck is happening right now this is ridiculous <laughs> why you stuck up half-witted scruffy looking nerf herder so just to kind of move this along quick, I'm going to cliff notes the entire like plot real fast so we can like get into some like detailed scenes and some events that happen because I think we have a lot to say about certain things, but not so much the plot. So what happens at this point is um, Arnie kills his landlord. He gets taken in uh, Ed and Lorraine find out about this. I'm like, holy shit, we got to go back to Haddonfield or wherever the fucking town this is. This is a scene that I thought was really interesting is when they try to convince the defense attorney of the defense of he was possessed by a demon and that's why he did this thing. They make a, they have a line in the movie, which I, I guarantee someone wrote and thought was genius. And I kind of think it is. It's like every time someone swears in, in court, they have to swear to God. Like, why won't we accept the opposite side of that? The devil is part of this as well. Like, you know, why do we only have to accept one side of it and not the other? I really liked that argument. And I thought they were going to go way more into that in the movie. They do not. They just like, it's like, Oh, good point. Okay, let's go. That shit always drives me nuts. It's like, no, we're not going to acknowledge the bad side of religion, only the good side, because that's what benefits us. And it's like, no, you got to kind of take the good with the bad, bro. So at this point, uh, Ed and Lorraine are going to go to this house and kind of try to find some some clues and evidence that basically backs up his demonic possession thing. Um, Lorraine goes underneath the house and finds a witch's totem or a satanic totem underneath the house in a burlap sack. Thing looked awesome. Let me ask you guys a quick question, because I think, uh, John, you, you purchased a house, right? I did. Yes, I, I do own a home. Mark, you're a homeowner as well, I believe. I do. Did either one of you check underneath your house before you moved in? Good news in Texas is we normally use just slab foundations here, so uh, you're not, uh, you don't have a crawl space too much normally. Did you check your attic? I did not do a full attic check. That's true. Jesus Christ, John. I know. No, real fucking amateur move. Guys, I still haven't been in my attic. Are you fucking, <laughs> you got, I'm watching this movie and I was like, no one buys a house and doesn't check out underneath or in the attic. No one does that. You guys just fucking proved me wrong. Why? 
that's the first thing I would do if I was buying a place. I'd be like, all right, let's give it the full fucking like ghost inspection. Let's just make sure I'm not buying any fucked up place. Your honor, in my defense, your honor, I don't have a full attic. I have one of them half-assed attics. Yeah, me too. So I can't even really get up there unless I buy a very large ladder. That's the perfect place to put a satanic totem, though. <laughs> You're good. It's true. You don't have a, uh, a door with a ladder built in? No, man. It's literally just a panel on the roof. Oh, shit. Like, I got to slide it to the side just to get in there. But yeah, there's no ladder pull down like you see in the movies or real houses, I suppose. My house is, man, I got gypped. I didn't get a ladder with mine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not only is there almost certainly a curse in there, uh, where's your AC blower? What if you have to fix your air conditioning? This is welcome to homeowner talk. I've got, I got access to uh. that. But the good <laughs> news is, fellas, is that I actually make these witch totems on my Pinterest and Etsy pages. So if you <laughs> want one, let me know. I'll send you a link. I'll make you a demonic item and I'll send it to you either priority or if you want to next day it, I can do that too for a little bit of an upcharge. Attention listeners, just in case you're thinking, oh, I'll buy this from Mark and it'll help me with my demonic possession. Mark half-asses these things. All right. He doesn't actually put the uh, the actual demonic effort into them. They look great. Top-notch quality. Like no blood sacrifices. Yeah, nothing for actually demonic possessing people. So just don't get your hopes up. My one review on Etsy says it just makes all of my food deliveries from Uber Eats an hour late. <laughs> That's something you can look forward to. Sweet. So they find this satanic totem and they're like, well, this is definitely satanic. We got to figure out what's going on. And then they kind of like, well, I know a guy who can help us out. Let's go ahead and talk to him. And they go to John Noble, aka Father K. They're like, hey, what's up, my man? And he's like, hey, how's it going? Well, damn it. You found a totem. Go ahead and come down into my Satan basement and I'll show you some shit. And uh, he does. And he's got this incredible, massive, like occult library collection. It's like the anti, um, as you said, like the anti-Warren basement. This place looks rad as hell. It does look super cool, but John Noble's character uh, may as well have been wearing a like, I'm probably a villain t-shirt. It's like so <laughs> spooky and weird. And it's like neon signs are like pointing don't trust this guy i didn't get that at all really i didn't think th i didn't think that at all this is the guy that set his son on fire in the last lord of the rings film he's got that face garrett he burns his own kids <laughs> mark we're not talking about lord of the rings that's a different podcast all right oh right we're living in a different fantasy world this episode the fantasy of ed and lorraine warren <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I some horror set in lord of the rings universe might actually be really good Get on that fanfic writers. <laughs> um, when he took them into his like little demon library, the guy was such a creeper, such a creeper. He wasn't a creeper. He was just like quiet and awkward as an old man who's dealt with occult shit his whole life. And is kind of like, oh boy, now we got to talk about this. Not. And the thing is, he knew some shit like you don't you don't get involved with that and become out like perfectly like well balanced and adjusted. I mean, he's clearly like. Oh boy, my dark secret. Let's go. Okay. He just came across as like, okay, let's let me break it down for you because you want to you want to stick your dick in crazy. Hey, <laughs> that's your call. But here we are. When he was talking about he was trying to rehabilitate the order of the ram or whatever, you know, the demonic shit he was investigating back in his day. Yeah. Like I don't know, man. I think I've seen too many of these movies. Like the old dude who was in the shit. Like he's been corrupted some way. You know, like it just. It just instantly came to me. And again, like I said, when you cast that guy in a role like this, I'm already suspecting shit. As John would say, that guy is sus. Mm-hmm. I do have a question about, to your question, Mark, about Lorraine's power set. 
why doesn't her superpowers kick in right now? This whole movie could have ended immediately if her powers worked. Maybe Valak is still clouding her mind from movie two. <laughs> Some Valak hangover. <laughs> what are you talking about? She was like, 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 okay, we shouldn't be messing with this stuff. Uh, because in later scenes, she like relives the whole crime. She solves that cold case murder in Detroit in like seconds. Yeah. So <laughs> wouldn't she have been able to touch this guy and be like, oh, spoiler here so i'm not going to say it we'll save it for the very end like all right thanks for dumping all your knowledge your brain knowledge on me sometimes when we touch <laughs> so this could have happened a million times so i'm not going to bring it up every time but they made lorraine too powerful but her powers are so intermittent and ill-defined that it doesn't make any sense when they work or don't work how come every movie where they basically show the murderer standing at the crime scene at the beginning and the detectives looking around at everyone and sees the weird guy in the crowd doesn't immediately solve the case how come when they go to space and they see this alien life form go into the air vent they don't immediately be like we got to go back to earth right now because this might be a problem john it's a fucking movie big difference also lorraine is basically miss cleo she's a psychic She's got magical powers, dude. Like John said, like she can solve everything else. Call me now. Yeah. <laughs> she is driving down a road going 75 miles an hour to a place that she's never been having a conversation and then is like, oh, you missed your turn. So she has that level of OP power, but can stand right in front of the co-bad guy and not read anything. At that point, she knows she's looking for Jessica or whatever the fuck that girl's name is. Like, she knows what she's looking for. She's touched the murder weapon, you know, like she's focused at that point right now she's just having a good time she's just dicking around boys <laughs> all right she's just she's overwhelmed by the sheer amount of occult stuff that's happening in front of her that she's not focused on like well maybe john noble is a real dick and he's not but um you know she's like whoa like you know like when you go into like a, a fucking like candy store and you're like oh my god i came here for cherry sours but look at all this candy you can't focus <laughs> okay so that's what's going on okay totally fine then when she, when she picks up the fucking occult symbol, why didn't she get any readings from that? I don't know if that one was used in the uh, the thing. I mean, somebody who's a bad guy had to touch that thing to put it where it is. She touches two of them. There's the one in her house that, that happens later and the one under the other pe person's house. There were two, cho two opportunities to use her superpower to crack this case wide open. And not to mention the occultist's bedroom is downstairs. <laughs> it's like right below the house. <laughs> Where was this level of fucking like pinpoint accuracy when we were talking about hereditary guys? All right, seriously, you are really cherry picking which ones you want to like shit on no what superpower the lady in hereditary is not a magician <laughs> this movie is fantastic all right anyway they go into this occult basement they realize there's a bunch of shit they take some books they make some reference to the dewey decimal system always a fan when that's made in a movie <laughs> so they're going in there searching and they're like well you know let's see what we can find they end up talking to a sheriff who calls them in because he finds out what they're investigating they bring her in and she finds the murder she shows them that she's got powers picking out the murder weapon they go to find the body to see if they can give any insight to this uh, cop's case she totally like solves it almost runs off a cliff uh, which was the worst cg green screen i've seen in a long time in a horror movie and then uh she's like the body's down there Go get it. You're like way underselling her almost solving it, though. She relives the whole murder from the point of view of the murderer. 
that's what I think Mark and I are talking about. We say her power set is ridiculous. It would be different if she was like, oh, I'm vaguely sensing some shit. But she re she possesses the murderer's memories, the dead murderer's memory. The term you're looking for is pantomimes the murder in full. <laughs> like, like even with stabbing motions through the air without knife in hand, like exactly where the murder takes place. And then almost runs herself off a cliff after, you know, the murderer threw herself over the cliff and is now at the bottom of the lake. Look, almost every one of them is amazing, but not every Van Halen song can be a banger. Sometimes you just miss you guys. All right. <laughs> all right. My point being, she's she's on top of her shit, but she just happened to be off. She needs a break every now and then. She's got a lot going on. Her husband had a heart attack, guys. OK, <laughs> she almost lost the, the only thing that matters in this world. The love of her life. Ed Warren. OK, also, she has a child she doesn't care about. So let's just like focus on what's important here. OK, <laughs> so anyway, she solves this case using her fucking like super fucking Professor X powers. Um, they're like, cool, we'll get you the case file, which might help you to solve, you know, your shit with Arnie. Uh, we cut back to Arnie in the prison. He's having a real hard time. He's still fully possessed. The demon's trying to get him to kill himself because Arnie has to kill himself by suicide to help complete the satanic ritual. Blah, 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 blah. They start uncovering clues. We cut back to the house. Well, the, the blah, blah, blah is them committing a crime. They break and enter. <laughs> the dumbest scenes in the whole movie, man. Yes, they have to break into the morgue to find out if the girl really was uh, the girl that got killed. Because if it is, that means Lorraine's powers are correct, which... At this point, you got to just assume they're correct. Like, you've been right about everything else. Why would you doubt this all of a sudden? But anyway, if they're right about this, then uh, they can go on to solve the rest of the uh, the satanic ritual case. So they break into the morgue. Um, she touches a fucking drowned person's hand, which I thought was going to de-glove on screen. And I was like, that's going to be the grossest thing you've ever seen in your life. It didn't, thank God. But um yeah, uh, at this point, they introduce, I guess you would call the monster of this movie, which is a giant, large Samoan looking like naked, bloated dead guy who's going to bum rush them. And uh, that was pretty freaky. I thought that was like really well done. Yeah, I liked the scene. I didn't understand how it fit in the universe to Mark's earlier point. But we also this is also where they introduce officially the witch, right? This is the first time we see her. We see her alter. We see the the spell that she's doing um, and what she's trying to do right now is get Arnie to kill himself. So she's going through this spell and Lorraine's like, uh, she tries to stop it. She's like, by the blood of Calvary, I command you to stop. And, and a big breeze comes. And then it turns out that the witch can see Lorraine. She's like, oh, how are you here? Lorraine's like, Ed, she could see me, which I totally laughed at because like, she could also probably hear you like, who are you talking to? <laughs> anyway, she's like, God sent me here to stop you. And the witch, who I totally respect, is like, I guess your God wants you to die. Yeah. Um, I was like, damn, what a shit talker. During all this time, Ed's seeing this zombie guy like wake up and he's like, Lorraine, Lorraine, you got to You got to cut this shit out. And Lorraine's, you know, she's in her Jedi meditation trance. And then the zombie dude breaks into like a full sprint. And that's when Ed's like, oh, yeah, I can just physically separate them. Um, and then as soon as they separate, the zombie falls. That was pretty cool. I, I did like that. They call Debbie and they're like, hey, uh, Arnie's under a spell. They're gonna, he's gonna try to kill himself. 
call the priest and let the tell him that you know Arnie needs to be under 24 hour suicide watch. And then we cut to the literal most useless character in this whole movie. We cut to the jail and the priest like knocks on Arnie's cell instead of being like, don't worry, we're going to put you on their suicide watch, he gives him a little glass vial of holy water and is like, God says everyone should be able to defend themselves, and then just disappears from the movie for like, you know, an hour. I thought he handed him a shank, and before they showed what it was, I was like, like, God, thanks everyone should, I was like, oh, he just gave him a fucking prison shank, bro, like, that's gonna be crazy, but I was wrong. I mean, he essentially did, though. I also didn't know that holy water came in uh, cross vials. I was like, man, is there a company that makes these? <laughs> like, Yep, the Vatican. Oh, it's straight from the Vatican. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you order it in bulk. Oh, okay. It's in your standard exorcism kit, Mark. Uh, I think you get 10 because you're probably going to break a few. Oh, good point. Okay. As happens in this <laughs> movie. So Arnie like draws a little circle for himself with the holy water and he crushes the glass and uses it to slit his wrists. And thankfully, a actual professional is coming by. I was like, oh shit, we got a cutter. And it like saves his life. But that priest had one job, one job. And he totally failed at it. Uh, so thumbs down on that guy. Well, look, dude, you don't get ahead in life and end up in a fucking prison. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, this is the lowest totem priest in the order. I'm sure of it. Like the traffic cop of priests. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, and now we know why. Because <laughs> he is really bad at his job. Anyway, they're back at the house. They're all sitting around with their, their sidekick helper, who really is the fucking, like, powerhouse of that team. I don't know that guy's name, but that guy's awesome in all the movies he's in. He's like going through books and they're just like, well, we got to we got to crack this case. And this is some like Pepe Sylvia fucking like always sunny, like piecing things together shit. Um, They're finding out that all the people who are involved and have these satanic totems are all within an X amount of range. Uh, Lorraine heard a train in her vision. So they got to find out where the train stop is. They're basically, they're, they're like they're they're cracking the case at this point, and they're doing a pretty good job. During this scene, though, um, Ed kind of like becomes possessed. He like goes into like this weird trance, and he sees the demon, the giant like um, Samoan corpse, in his house, and he goes to stab it, and he's like, "Get the fuck out!" Blah blah blah. And um, you come to find out that he's been hallucinating. He's about to stab um, Lorraine. And he's like, oh, my God, what have I done? And they're like, oh, that's it. She's infected us, too, which you find out is part of the curse. She has to kill an innocent child. She has to have uh, a criminal uh, commit suicide. And then she has to kill a man of God, a pure faith or something like that. And it's going to be either Lorraine or Ed. And I think it's Ed. So they find out, they realize that this lady had sent flowers to the house, which was going to be the totem. And inside that vase is one of the the satanic totems. Oh, Lorraine's like, I'm going to go talk to the old man that we talked to earlier, because he'll be able to help us translate this, this book in Latin, which will let us know what we're fucking with. Ed and his sidekick homie uh, cracked the case. and like, oh my God, the altar is at the old man's house. We got to go catch it. So now we're on a ticking clock. Right. So here's, here's, Maybe I missed something, so I'm legitimately asking. Lorraine leaves, and it is daytime. Because this is when she says uh, Mark's favorite line of like, oh, the witch's power is is the witch is most powerful at night. Uh, Then she skedaddles. And like 20 minutes later, the uh, Ed's like, oh, shit, I got to go after Lorraine. By the time Lorraine gets there, she had a huge head start. It is nighttime. Um, but Ed shows up like five minutes after her, even though he left 
considerably later. How far away is this house? Did Lorraine run errands? Well, the sun was going down when she left. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was, it was getting night pretty quick. And as we know, the sun sets pretty fast. (laughs) So I think she was just taking her time. Um, Ed does take his buddy's um, Mustang and you see him like hauling ass down the road. So she was probably kicking about a 45 mile an hour trip. Like, I'm going to go talk to John Noble. It's going to be a nice little like, you know, conversation. All good. And Ed's like pedal to the metal. Like, you know, i got to get there. You know, witness me, Mad Max style. And the thing is, he doesn't get there like moments after she gets there. He, they, uh, Lorraine goes into the house, talks to John Noble. They sit down. At this point, John Noble's character knows that like, oh shit, they've kind of figured out what's going on here. And he locks the door behind Lorraine when she comes inside. They go sit and have tea and talk for a little bit. Um, and then he's like, okay. <laughs> did you, did, man, I gotta say, I love the fact that this whole scene was just lit by fireplace, no lights at all. And it's like, why, what, you would turn the lights on. You're looking in through photo albums and books. And it's like, and we just gotta have the mood set here because it's gonna be creepy in a minute. Villain lighting. <laughs> it's a Satan house. You got to. It's why I'm only allowed to use like 30 watt bulbs at my place, you know, <laughs> just in case. So he's like, all right. I got something to show you. He goes down in the creepy Satan basement again and just like leaves her to follow. And she's like, um, old man, should I come down there? And she's like, well, I guess I'll go down there. This is about the time, like right before this is about the time when Ed like hauls ass and starts driving. And as we learn from the map, everything's within a couple mile range of each other about, you know, like a, maybe a five to 10 minute trip to anywhere in this, in this, uh, this story. So, um, she goes downstairs she goes into the creepy Satan bookstore and um, John Noble's like, okay, here it is straight up. I had a daughter. And he was sitting in the dark while she's like, hello, hello. And then he turns a table light on. I was like, who does that shit? Badasses. That's who. <laughs> That's like that crap that happened in the clown. Remember, remember the clown? It's that same scene where he's hiding among the mannequins. <laughs> I would have given this movie... 10 million points if Lorraine had been like, I'm a psychic. I can see you in the dark. She's not a psychic. She's just in tune to certain events, you guys. <laughs> let's not let's not get hung up on Lorraine's power set, which is all over the fucking place. Okay. <laughs> so this is the big this is my favorite part of movies where we get the like the backstory reveal of what the fuck's going on. You find out that John Noble was a priest. He was trying to reform the Order of the Ram, which was a Satan cult, and this is how he came across all this shit. His daughter, like it had to be a secret because he was a priest. He wasn't supposed to have it. So um, they lived in this house together. Well, as he was doing all this stuff, his daughter, you know, like he's like what I thought would just be, you know, a passing interest ended up becoming an obsession. So he, then he talks about how he's like, we have to make sure that our obsessions don't pass on to our children. That line right there perked my ears up because I was like, holy shit, you have a fucking a child at your place, Warren's, who you neglect constantly, who is completely open to your basement full of all sorts of fucking obsessive bullshit. So I thought this was them paving the way for the next Conjuring movie where like the daughter becomes like almost an evil vessel for, you know, like the, like they have to go against their own daughter type thing. But anyway, um, I thought that line was great. And if that's what the writers intended to do, mwah, kudos, well done. Um, he then basically says like, okay, my daughter totally got into the Satan shit. And she's the one that's basically trying to do this curse. She called forth a demon. 
I'm sorry, I didn't say anything, but she's my daughter. What can I do? You know, which basically just proves that parents are willing to do stupid shit for their kids, regardless of what's right and wrong, which means don't have kids. <laughs> that's, that's what that means. <laughs> he does give her an important piece of information. To break the curse, you have to smash the altar where the curse was done. Um, so he does give her that piece of information. And then he's like, you know, to your point, he's like, kids, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, I have a couple questions about that, right? So the altar is this place of power for our Satanist occultist daughter here. She also seems to have the ability to not only teleport around everywhere, but she can haunt or curse two people at a time, right? So she's fucking with Ed and she's still fucking with Arnie, who's over in jail now levitating himself, trying to cut himself with more broken glass. Like the, these, this Satanist girl is far too powerful, in my opinion. Uh, am I alone on that? I just think she's a little too OP here. And you know, maybe they just have to lift her up to be at, at Lorraine's level, I guess. But Well, no. How powerful is that demon? Because she's getting her powers from the demon. And she, she didn't develop this skill set on her own. She didn't practice to be able to possess more. You know, she called forth this power. I thought she was still in the process of getting the demon into our realm, and that's why they needed these three kills. Right, so maybe she can do three curses, right? Because, like, so the demon's like, all right, I'm going to give you a curse, a kill, use them wisely. So she has three kills, so she can create three totems, so she can fuck with three people. That's what I think her power set is, based on no in-universe material. But I think it would only be fair, right? If you're the demon, and you're like, all right, I need you to kill these three people, why not, you know, help her out a little bit, give her uh, a pretty broad power set? Yeah, you're not going to give someone like the beginner level, like, you know, when you're trying to like summon yourself into a world for like total like demonic domination, you're not going to go light. You're going to give them everything. Is that what she was after? Was she after total world domination? Because the movie didn't tell me any of that. Well, no, she promised she promised the demon a soul to basically gain its powers and summon it forth to the world. Again, that goes back to John Noble's like comment of like, because Lorraine's like, well, why did she do this? And he's like, the why is not important. You know, why they do these things is they're just agents of chaos. Like they just do these things to do these things. So we never really find out why she summoned this demon. I think it's just because she was a curious child who got really into it. And she's like, I'm going to do this thing. And, you know, like when you double down and tell your kids not to do stuff, they like want to like turn around and do it even more. I think that's what happened here. I think she's like, I'm going to summon this demon out of stubbornness. Did, I, I thought the curse involved something to do with long life. Because when he was going through his little photo book and he showed the picture of baby Satanist, it was labeled 1932. Oh, but you know what? Never mind. Cross all of that. I'm just stupid. I forgot the movie set in 1980 and not 2021. Yeah. God damn it, John. <laughs> Get your shit together. So, er. Uh, my bad. Did you just put the brakes on? <laughs> yeah, I put my own brakes on. Nice. Uh, <laughs> nice. I like it. So at this point, she's like, well, then cool. We got to find an altar and smash it. And he's like, OK, I'm going to help you. I'll tell you where it is. It's in these caves below us because this is a mining town. And he's like, there's caves below us. It's definitely down there. I'm going to let you in so you can go fuck this up to put a stop to my daughter because, yes, she's doing the wrong thing. John Noble at no point is an evil dude. The only thing he did wrong was just basically not like out his daughter earlier mm. because it's his daughter and he loves her, which uh, can go either way, depending on your school of thought of kids. Standing aside to allow evil to happen is evil. He's a disgraced priest. He don't care. Yeah, but I mean, he's seeing you. I feel like and maybe, you know, different moral codes. You know, so John and I might have you know different feelings on the matter, but 
if I saw someone murdering somebody and just let it happen, like just step aside, didn't tell anybody, didn't like intervene, whatever, I feel like I would feel very, very guilty and feel like I did a horrible thing. Obviously, you know, not as horrible, but almost like 80% as horrible because I am enabling evil to happen. Well, this is why John Noble was in his house by himself, quiet, kind of like reserved, not really sure how to interact with people. He's locked himself away. He's separated himself from the world due to this guilt. And he kind of actually alludes to it, too. He's like, okay. I know I shouldn't have let this happen, but she's my daughter. What could I have done? You know, like, so I think he definitely, um, I think that that message is there. I think it's glossed over real quick, but yes. All right, I'm on board. So John Noble lets her down into the uh, the, the tunnels below and she's going to go find the altar. And at this time she runs inside, he closes the door and, and then like they hear, he hears a noise upstairs and it's like, she's here. So the daughter comes down and it's all like, Ah, I see you let her into my my caves. And he's like, yep, well, you know, I had to do something. Boom, gets his throat slit by his daughter. I, I appreciate that she gently let his head down, though. That was very nice of her. Just gently kind of leaned his head down after slitting his throat. And then she's going to go down in the caves after Lorraine to kind of put a stop to Lorraine. Ed is on his way. Ed decides to not go through the house to get into the tunnels, but instead goes to like this like covered hole out in the middle of this field. Because he can hear Lorraine. I guess Lorraine sensed him coming or no, maybe she actually I legit think she heard the car. I'm not going to pin this on her superpowers. I think she heard the car and she starts screaming, Ed, Ed, Ed. And Ed can hear her through this this uh, helpful shortcut grate. And that's where he decides to. He also helpfully finds a sledgehammer right next to this grate. He uses it, smashes the lock and jumps down in to uh, to rescue Lorraine. He thinks he sees Lorraine running through these tunnels. Again, let me remind the audience, this movie is shot gorgeously. Everyone, with the exception of the cliff scene that was done in CG, every one of these shots, the lighting, the environments are so fucking good. They're creepy. They're atmospheric. He thinks he sees Lorraine and he's like, Lorraine, he like starts going towards her. She starts coming to them and then boom, out of nowhere, Lorraine turns into the Satan witch and blows sand in his eyes or magic pixie dust or whatever it is. Shasha pocket sand. It's called uh, devil dirt. Oh, okay. I don't think that's a real name. Are you making that up? Absolutely. Okay, cool. Just wanted to make sure. <laughs> if you had a dirt devil, you would have been able to uh, fight back. Yeah, there you go. Um, so he's now got the he's got the whammy put on him by the dust. Um, so you know he did a he did a big old like you know poof, and now he's uh, he's seeing things. His bl- vision's blurry. He's kind of out of it. And then he thinks he sees the demon. And so he tries to like smash it with a sledgehammer. But you find out it's actually Lorraine and he's almost killing Lorraine. And that's when we get the whole line of and Lorraine in her own wisdom kind of crawls away and runs away to where she's next to the altar, which has to be smashed. Ed happens to have a sledgehammer. He's about to smash Lorraine, who he thinks is a demon. But then she gives the the dramatic line of they think our love is a weakness, but it's actually our strength. Ed, hear me. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. And he kind of snaps to for a minute and then smashes a sledgehammer down on the altar, breaks it in half. Blah, blah, blah. Curses broken people. And then the witch shows up and she's like, you know what? No, I'm going to kill you, motherfuckers. And then the demon comes out, snatches the witch up, breaks her body and like turns it, twists it. And that's Lorraine goes, you promised him a soul. 
you didn't deliver. So now he's going to take one one way or the other or some shit like that. I don't know. It was a dumb line. The demon really fucks her up, though. That part was tough. And the, the, the sound effects were great there. The bones cracking and shit. I, I didn't really feel bad for her because she's a you know murderer and a Satan, like a Satanist. But uh, I don't want to insult Satanists. I'm sure there's plenty of nice Satanists out there. I'll say she's a murderer. So I didn't feel real bad for her, but it was tough. This movie did a very good job with body contortion whenever the demon was attacking people through possession. Like even starting at the beginning with the little kid, David, the way that he was like kind of wrenching upward and writhing, like all that stuff looks good. And then Arnie did it again when he was handcuffed to the bed in the prison. And then we get to see it one more time. Like when this occultist falls dead to the ground, she is crumpled. Her legs are where they shouldn't be. Her back is completely bent over. It's just, yeah, it looks really good. I think that that stuff looked great. Yeah. Agreed. But um, as this stuff is playing out in the um, the tunnels below the, uh, the mill house, um, in the prison, Arnie's like floating in the air. He's trying to kill himself to complete the ritual. Um, his girlfriend, Debbie, is like holding his hand to try to keep the knife from stabbing into his, his throat or the glass from stabbing into his throat. Um, so that's playing out at the same time. But once they actually break the altar and the demon kills um, the witch, uh, Arnie's OK again. He, he basically snaps out of it. Everything's all right. He's not in danger of being killed by the demon possession. So after all this happens, they they crawl out of the hole and they're on the uh, the grassy knoll. And Ed's like, OK, I forgot my pills. I'm having a heart attack. I'm going to die. But out of nowhere, Lorraine pulls the locket from around her neck, opens it up where she's taken one of his heart pills, put it inside the locket. And she's like, here you go. As if like, a, oh, shucks you. I love you, you know, but it's like, don't steal people's medication. <laughs> like she didn't tell him that she didn't plan this with him. She just took a dude's pill and was like, I'm going to keep one of these secret just in case yep. we're doing something like, like at least plan it out. Be like, Hey, I'm going to keep one of these in my locket just in case you ever need one. Like, that's a good idea, honey. Thanks for caring about me. But no, she fucking did it in secret. That scene pissed me off. Cause I was like, first off, don't steal people's medication. Number two, like, why would you not discuss that with your significant other? Every time they try to convince us that they like, love each other and they have this impeccable bond, you find out that they just don't really fucking communicate for shit. They're just, Oh God, they piss me off. I do not like these people. No, they're federal criminals. That's a crime. You can't carry someone else's prescription around. <laughs> I love that Garrett is so mad about this pill in the locket scene. <laughs> this is what did in Ed and Lorraine for him and not all the fucking Jedi powers. <laughs> How dare she? Yeah, I didn't care about the power stuff. I was fine with that because I was like, okay, I guess we're doing this for this movie. All right, that's fine. But yes, the problem I had is when they kept trying to get me to care about them as people. I was like, you are useful tools for this plot narrative. That's it. Like, I do not give a shit about y'all. I'm more concerned about their child who basically is evidently just unattended 90% of her life in a house full of bullshit. Garrett, let me tell you what. There is a movie for you. It is called Annabelle Comes Home, and it is all about the fun that Judy gets up to when her parents regularly just abandon her. Yeah, you told us about that one. The worst movie. Uh, well, that's not true. The Curse of La Llorona is the worst, but it's one of the worst. But you know what? You seem really interested in Judy's story, so you can get more of Judy in that film. Speaking of Judy, we should watch Sleepaway Camp. This one wraps up with the courtroom scene of Arnie getting his sentence uh, he stands before the court and then it fades to black and says, Arnie got manslaughter charges, served five years of a 20 year sentence and was let go for good behavior. Uh, and now he lives happily with his wife, Debbie, 
and is still alive to this day. And that's the end of the film. I have a question. Yeah. What what was the name of Brienne of Tarth's sword? Uh, what? <laughs> He's talking about Game of Thrones. Why don't you tell us, Mark? It's Oathbreaker. Oathkeeper. Just saying, people name tools. <laughs> Why couldn't the demon have a name? Putting it out there. I was wondering where you were going with this. <laughs> the demon had a name. We just didn't need to know it because that would have given us power over it. And it would have been the end of this movie, Mark. We could have just said its name. <laughs> and then the movie would have stopped and deleted itself from HBO Max. That's my point. Years of this bullshit with the church, they should have like a fucking demon phone book where it's just like a list of demon names, like known demon names. They do. Well, they just start rattling those off the moment you get there. There's two many bring people in tandem have everybody talk at once bring a team a crack squad of like like the expendables but with like fucking like priests that basically just name off names <laughs> just walking through tunnels with scrolls of names just rattling them <laughs> off i thought that's what that movie call me by your name was i was really wrong <laughs> the one thing i have a question about though is in all these movies they have people get contorted and at the beginning when poor little david is contorted and cracking you hear bones crunching and all this shit when arnie's getting contorted and cracking and the demonic presence goes away and they're just fine it's like your back would be broken you uh, you would be in traction for months if not years at this point like they're just like oh man i feel so refreshed well i think they i think the the holy power that gets the demon to go also gets the de- you know sort of heals their body that's convenient yeah well i mean you know i guess it's like a little bit of a you know what sorry i took over your immortal soul no hard feeling no harm no foul right this movie was also two hours long and i'm gonna say this because i really i do kind of enjoy what the conjuring movies and the conjuring universe kind of put forth even if like some of their execution is like really not my thing I think these would be great hour long TV episodes, like limited series, like a a 10 episode limited series on Hulu or Netflix, where they basically investigate something for a tight 54 minutes. I think this that would work really well. Yeah, I could see that. I think they're making way too much money, unfortunately, but I agree. A conjuring TV show might be better because also then we don't have to give a shit about the Warrens. They could just be like the framing device like uh, oh you know what it could be judy going to visit the warrens in their nursing home and they're just rambling these stories you know and then that's the episode yeah it could be that i mean but we'll end up like battlestar galactica in this shit well like breaking bad this where we have to spend an entire half a season on just their relationship out of nowhere just for no reason whatsoever I think for me, this movie is the least interesting story out of all the three mainline films so far. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because so much of it was kind of like fabricated in the writer's room outside of the actual event, but I felt like they could have done a little bit more with it. You know, the the whole like, we need a a trilogy of death to bring forth the demon. Like, I would have liked to see a little bit more put into that instead of just revealing it in the last 15 minutes and then we rush, 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 break the altar and we're done. Like one of the one of the murders that are necessary is a man of God. Well, the daughter slit her dad's throat, a priest, and he wasn't dis- he w- he was retired from the church. He wasn't kicked out of the clergy, at least that I can. No, he was kicked out. He was kicked out. When he's dumping the backstory, he talks about how he had to leave the church. He had a daughter. You can't have a daughter and be a priest. Okay. Well, also he was forced out too because of some of the stuff he was doing with the Order of Ram and shit like that. Like he he was a disgraced priest and had to leave. And they do say when they don't just say a a priest or man of God, they said a a man of God of pure faith. So it had to be someone who did not have any doubt or any issue. And that dude definitely had like like uh you know what maybe some of this shit's a little like suspect. 
or <clears throat> sus, if you will. <laughs> I just feel like that could have been an interesting twist to it. Like, oh, she got her second kill after all when she slit her dad's throat or something like that. You know what I mean? The other m- movies felt like they had more mystery to them. This one was just kind of straightforward. And at no point was I like, ooh, that was a little twisty or, you know what I mean? Like, it, I don't know. It just, it felt kind of basic compared to the first one, at least. I, I think if it, to me, it feels like they forgot well, I don't know if they've forgotten, but they think that the draw of these movies is the Warrens. And they're like, oh, we need to give as much screen time to uh, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga as possible. And I and I just don't think that's true. I think the draw of these movies is the victims of these you know, hauntings or whatever. And the strongest movies in the franchise have the least amount of Warrens in them. They're just not interesting characters. I mean, I think they're great actors. I don't blame the actors, but I think their characters are just boring. I really like the story of this third one. I I like the fact that it wasn't your standard, like, I'm possessed. I'm, you know, like, like, oh, we got to get this demon out of this person and we're done. I like the fact that it was like they thought it was that. And then like, oh, shit, this is actually some like occult level. Like it was done by by humans this time. And it did unleash this power. I don't know. I loved that that twist. I thought it was a good, you know, kind of like deviation from the standard tried and true shit we'd seen with the first two Conjuring movies. I think like John said about Evil Dead, I'm not the target audience for this franchise. I don't believe in demon possession. I think Ed and Lorraine are hucksters. And that's all that's going through my mind as I watch this film. And this one to me is on par with Conjuring 2. I think it slides right in fine with that one, but nowhere near the level of part one. Part one is like almost a modern masterpiece of a haunting film. So it just let me down there. But again, like I said, I'm not target audience. I, I would recommend it if you're a fan of the Conjuring films, but John is a fan of the Conjuring films and I feel like he's going to say stay away. But, you know, that's a it's on the viewer to decide. It's on HBO Max, so no ask if you're subscribed there. You don't have to go spend money on it. And that's that's a that's a good way to frame it, Mark. But let me just go ahead and make it a little bit simpler for the uh, the audience. Hey, it's Garrett here. Um, you know, I've got great taste. This movie was rad as hell. Go check it out. Don't listen to what Mark and John say. They're full of it. They wouldn't know good fucking movies if it bit them in the ass. If they were possessed and walked right up to them, they'd have no idea. This one was fantastic. Go check it out. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to surprise Mark and say, yeah, right. Check it out if you must, you know, if you're into this franchise. Because I mean, it is better than a lot of them, right? I mean, I've been the nun. talking a lot of shit about it, but it's, it's not the nun. Exactly. You know, so like. It's not bottom tier, but it is. It is just a middle brow film. Uh, yeah. And it's barely a horror film. I don't know. I didn't like it. I don't like it. I watched it twice now, and it's not any better on the second watch. I will say this, though. When they first introduced the witch, I thought that that was the nun in more modern times. Like, at first, I was like, I was like, if this is the fucking nun again, I'm going to be pissed off. I was about to be so mad. I thought that woman, that chick was still involved. I was like, we're done with the nun. Like, let's move on. I'm so glad they did not make that that occult witch the nun. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, but I don't know. Conjuring 3 was fine. It was all right. It's just boring. It's just that I don't like the middle part. I think I've, I've said this a few times. I just don't like when they drift away into Ed and Lorraine's big adventure. And uh, I found that to be very tedious and boring. I'll agree with that. 
Uh, by the way, Garrett, your favorite character in the movie, his name is Drew. Drew. Which one was that? The guy who found the book in the church and then was like, it's part of an Aramaic. And they're like, oh, we got to get this translated. That guy. Now, is that the same dude from the other films, too? Yes. Okay. That guy is awesome. What just hit me when you saying his name and, and you called it out, Garrett, but it didn't really sink in is despite all of their running around, they didn't actually crack this case. Drew did. Despite all of Ed and Lorraine's effort, they really just had to wait for Drew to tell them, oh, here's what's going on. And then they, you know, skedaddled off. That was the same thing in two. Remember, as they're about to leave, like Drew's like, oh, hey, you're probably going to want these. And he hands him like the audio tapes. Yeah. And like, like Drew is like, he's like the Velma of like this group. He's the <laughs> one that's actually doing all the legwork and solving shit and stuff. And then like, you know, fucking Ed and Lorraine are like, the Fred and fucking Daphne of this, you know, it's just like, it's just sad. Drew, Drew is carrying this whole operation on his back. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, he gets great benefits. <laughs> so. All right. Well, this is the part where I ask Garrett what's coming up next week. Next week, we have a film, Mark, that is one of your choices, uh, a film called Don't Breathe. Ah, uh, yes. The home invasion film of a blind man gone wrong. I think this one's good. It's done by... Fidi Alvarez, he's the one that did Evil Dead 2013. Um, I think you guys will like it. So get that watch before next time. Listeners, do you have any recommendations or cold open ideas or just want to drop us a line? We've got a Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can hit us up on thegravetalk.com. See what we're up to. Drop us an email. We love hearing from you guys. Until then, get Don't Breathe Watched, and we'll see you next time.